Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, thanks for the privilege to gather freely as your people, to gather freely under your word, knowing that you speak to us through your word, that you use your word to point us to your son Jesus, and that as uh, we hear and as we understand your your word, we know that your spirit is working in us, growing us, shaping us, moulding us more and more like your son Jesus. So, Father, this morning we pray that you'd be doing that work in us. We know that you are working in our world and in our lives, and we do ask that you would change us and shape us to be more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. On the 14th of December, 2019, a two-year-old girl named Olive suddenly died in a sleep in the States. Her parents were part of a massive megachurch in the States, a church that has a huge focus on miracles, whether out of faith, defiance, or whatever else. Uh, the parents and this church began a campaign of prayer in light of their belief in miracles to ask the Lord Jesus to bring Olive back to life. The church, as we mentioned, also embraced this campaign. They had lots of multi-sites and they all prayed together for this girl, Olive. Through the internet, the words, wake up Olive, this hashtag filtered through the world, through Christian circles. It was met by churches, even secular media, the news in Australia uh, had it, and it was met with a lot of debate worldwide. For a few days, Olive's mum, Uh, would post on Instagram, it's a really good day for a resurrection, until day six, where Olive's mum posted, giving up hope of that miracle that they were praying for, and they posted details about the memorial service for two-year-old Olive. Wake up, Olive. Healings and miracles. We see a similar one in today's passage in Acts, but what do we think about them for today? But before we get sidetracked about miracles, which undoubtedly some of us might, I want to suggest that even though we will touch on the topic of miracles today, this passage here in Acts, while it contains miracles, it's not actually about miracles. It's about something and someone bigger, better, greater, and more important than miracles. So just a warning as we start off today, Don't be sidetracked by the topic of miracles. Focus on what God is doing here in these verses. Well, just to get our bearings, uh, we're in between two massive stories today in Acts. Uh, We've just seen the conversion of Saul, and we're about to hit Acts 10, which is a very favorite Sunday school passage, a huge story about Peter and Cornelius and all the unclean foods and animals and things like that. Well, this section today moves the spotlight back to the Apostle Peter, and it sets us up for that next scene in Acts chapter 10. And I think it's an often missed passage. I looked up a few other churches and their breakdown on Acts, and they often skip these verses. Or they spend like 30 seconds or one or two sentences in them, and they keep going. Even for us at Hertford Street, we almost skipped these verses too. And at times when this passage is referred to, 
it's often misunderstood. It's often taken out of context, and it's used often to justify incorrect, unhelpful, and faith-damaging practices like seen in the wake-up-olive situation. But I think when we look at this passage properly, like all other passages in God's Word, God uses it to encourage us, to challenge us, to teach us, and to stir each of us to live for Jesus. We find two miracle stories here, both accounts, I think, very clear, very simple to understand. So this morning, we're going to work through this passage by unpacking the application right from the start. There's four points today, and we're going to go through them one by one. The first point is this, the risen Lord Jesus is still at work today. Let's pick up where we left off last week in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Remember last week, this was the summary verse. And as we pick up today's passage, we see two more examples of how the church was growing and multiplying and how the gospel was moving. And verse 32 brings us to today's section. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. The spotlight cuts back to Peter, and he's moving in between churches in Jerusalem, Galilee, and Samaria. He's moving around these churches, sharing the gospel and growing the believers there. And he finds himself in this place called Lydda. It's about 40 k's out northwest from Jerusalem. It's in the land that we call Samaria. It's a place where Jews had intermarried with foreign nations. It was one step outside of Israel. And the story here we find is short, it's clear, but it's significant. There he found a man named Aenus, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aenus, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This guy here, Aenus, he doesn't say here if he's a believer, a Christian or not. Most think he is, because he's, Peter's visiting the churches around the area. But this guy, he's well known. He's well known because he's been bedridden for eight years. He would have begged for food and money from his bed all the time. He was in a desperate condition. You see, paralysis, being paralyzed, was virtually like a death sentence back in the first century. But Peter here, he does something amazing. Even though the story told is so succinct and to the point, he speaks to Aeneas, he doesn't promote Peter, his own power, but he points to the name of Jesus. He heals Aeneas and instructs him to rise up. And this guy, he does this. He rises up and he becomes a walking decoration of the healing power of God. And as we read the story, however quickly it is, doesn't it sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like what we find in the gospel accounts, in the life of Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Doesn't this remind you of Jesus 
and his healing and miraculous works, especially that story when Jesus heals that paralyzed man, the crippled man, Mark chapter 2 or Luke 5, where Jesus heals this guy that's been bedridden for years. You see this passage, it's familiar, isn't it? It reminds us of Jesus. You see, it's a work, it's a miracle, it's a thing that Jesus would do. It's got all the hallmarks, I think, of Jesus because it is the risen Lord Jesus still at work. The risen Lord Jesus who died, who rose again, who ascended into heaven, but he's still working. He continues his work by his spirit through the works of his disciple, his apostle, Peter. And as we keep going, we get to the second story, and that's what we see too. Verse 36, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. The spotlight, it stays on Peter, but it moves again to Joppa. It's 20 k's further down the track from Lydda. And now we're in a Greek city that's in Gentile land, Gentile territories, another step further away from Jerusalem. And there's this believer in Joppa, Tabitha, in Aramaic, or Dorcas in Greek. It means gazelle in both languages. It's a well, this person, she's a well-known and godly believer. Uh, she looked after the widows in the church. Uh, she got sick and she died. They prepared her for burial. They washed her, they laid her in an upper room. All of these little details emphasizing that she is really dead. But the believers, hearing what Peter had just done in this other city, having a faith that God is able to work the impossible, they send people to urge Peter to come. And the count, again, is short but significant in verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them, and when, they and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all aside and kneeled down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. You see, Peter, he arrives in Joppa, he gets a call, he finds the widows mourning over her death, showing some of the things that Tabitha had made for them, clothes that she had made herself and gifted to them. These widows are probably wearing the clothes as a way of remembering Tabitha. And Peter, again, he does what Jesus does in the Gospels. You can see it in countless places. Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, he sends the, gr the grieving out, he prays, and he tells Tabitha to rise up. And again, that's what she does straight away. She opens her eyes, remember she's dead, 
She gets up and she's presented alive before all in the house. Another account, I think that's familiar, that reminds us again of Jesus and his work, his healing work in the Gospels. He's ascended to heaven, but he's still at work by his spirit through the apostle Peter here. And I think that's the big truth that we need to get out of today's passage. It's showing us in these short verses that the risen Lord Jesus is still at work. It's not about the miracles themselves, but it's about the one behind the miracles, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this book? It's called the Book of Acts. It's sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles, or sometimes we even call it the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. You see, he's at work in and through the apostles and in the early church. The risen Lord Jesus, he's at work also in our lives, in the church and in the world today. And we're going to build on this truth as we keep going. The risen Lord Jesus, the one who's died for our sins in our place, the one who's risen to show us victory over death, who's ascended on high into heaven and is ruling He's still at work in our world, in our lives today. So let me ask you this morning, do we know this? Do we believe this? Do you know this? And do you believe that the risen Lord Jesus is still at work today? I think it's really easy for you and me to act as if Jesus is not at work today. We don't expect people to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We think that breakthroughs don't happen, miracles won't happen, and because we can't see God's mysterious work in people's lives, we don't think anything is happening. We don't bother to take opportunities to share the gospel, to talk about God and Jesus. We often think we're alone. That's up to me to say the exact right words as we witness to others, as we do have, and we do have to work hard on these things, but we're not in it on our own. It's not just me. And we often don't bother, don't we? Because we don't think anything's going to happen. No point praying, no point serving, no point sharing, because we don't think Jesus is at work today. You see, when we forget that Jesus is at work today, we become spiritual pessimists. We become the lone warrior saviour ourselves. I have to do it all. Or we be simply become lazy Christians. But knowing and believing that the risen Lord Jesus is at work today, I think it should cause me, it should cause you and us to be excited confident, bold, expectant, and eager to partner with what the risen Lord Jesus is doing. Knowing that however things turn out, good or bad or otherwise, it's Jesus. He's the one who's working, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving Saviour King. He hasn't abandoned us and gone to heaven. He's working intricately, his plan and his purpose 
And he calls us today to know this and to be part of his kingdom work. So we've seen these two miracle stories. The person, the center of it all, uh, this guy, this apostle Peter, we read in these verses that he actually doesn't get much airtime in these accounts. We see that he's simply an instrument. He's a person who's used by Jesus, who he saw in the first truth, who's the one who's really at work in these two miracles. But what's the point of it all? What's the purpose of these miracles? What's the end goal of these miracles in Acts? And I think this is really important to understand as we move on, because many people, believers and unbelievers, we don't really understand the purpose of miracles, do we? That's why it's such a hot topic today. In fact, a few groups like the Wake Up Olive movement read today's passage, and they use it, ripping it out of its context, and they use it as a proof text for all of us to be trying to work these miracles today. They use these claims to draw attention to themselves, and they use this whole topic of miracles as a hook to follow that church or that speaker or that pastor. One of my lecturers at college, uh, when I was going through, he visited a country in South Africa before COVID. Uh, he saw stadiums filled with poor people who had paid much of their life savings for a ticket into these stadiums to see a miracle worker, this person or that person, promising to give all the people coming healing, blessing, and wealth. But if you really dig into those things, it was really all about the fame of the speaker. It was all about the spectacle. It was all about their monetary profit. But if we see that, then we look at Acts and we ask, what was the goal of these miracle stories in Acts? Well, let's have a look at the first story. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. See, it doesn't say they rushed around Peter, they made him famous, and they started a megachurch movement, and they gave all their money to it. The passage says Peter, one of the 12 apostles commissioned and sent by Jesus, he was preaching the word in the churches, verse 32. He healed in the name of Jesus, verse 34. And the result is many people of Lydda and Sharon. Sharon is the geographical region around them, a stretch of 90 k's of the coastline, all in Sumerian territory. Many people in this area turned to Jesus as Lord and Savior, verse 35. Now let's look at the second account and the result of this miracle. Verse 42, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, it's not about Peter's fame. It's not about the miracle itself or making money out of the miracle and spectacle. Peter, he's going about teaching God's word. He prays over Tabitha. She comes back to life. 
and the result is that many believed in Jesus. So on both accounts, even though two spectacular miracles happen, let me suggest that the focus in Acts that Luke's writing is on an even greater miracle, an even greater work than the two stories, the healings that we see. It's about people turning to and believing in Jesus. It's about spiritually, eternally dead people finding life in Jesus. And that's our second truth today. The risen Lord Jesus is causing his work, is causing people to believe in himself. You see, the risen Lord Jesus, he's working today. And his work is convicting hearts, turning minds, working spiritual life in dead people, bringing repentance and salvation as they believe, repeated here, in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And the risen Lord Jesus, he's still working toward the same goal today. He's convicting hearts and minds as the good news of Jesus is shared through all situations and circumstances, whether they be miraculous and spectacular and unexplainable, to even the normal and ordinary and day-to-day. Jesus, he's causing people to believe in him. You see, Jesus, he's not merely about wanting good morals. He's not merely about your success. He's not building your worldly protection. He's not merely growing your finances. He's not wanting you to be an activist or a protester. He's not even merely about good physical health, even though all of those things can be good things that Jesus cares about. You see, the primary work of Jesus today is for the goal of people believing in him as Lord and Saviour. Let me ask you this morning, is that how you understand Jesus' work today? Causing people, wanting people, working in people's lives so that they believe in him. I think our actions often show how we understand Jesus' work today. And I want to pick on a few recent issues. Freedom of religion, vaccine mandates, abortion, voluntary assisted dying. Depending on who you are, what you believe, you might be passionate about one, more, or all of these issues. And you might be rightly and biblically passionate about these issues too. But let me suggest that if you're passionate about these things, or even other issues, whether they be social or doctrinal issues, and you're not passionate about the primary work of Jesus, which is about causing people to believe in him, what does that say about your understanding of Jesus' work today? Because I think we should be most passionate about what Jesus is doing in the world, about his mission of causing people to turn to Jesus and believing in him as Lord and Saviour. You see, the risen Lord Jesus, he's working. He's working today to cause people to believe in him. 
Well, as we keep going, we've seen in our first two points that Jesus is working today, and his work is to cause people to believe in him. But I'm sure you're asking, what about miracles? I guess that's the elephant in the room. I've got no one else. Ken Conwell's not here to give him, to put him, to share what he thinks. So i got to do it. <laughs> and I think this is less of a truth. It's more of a side comment. But what about miracles and their place today? Was that wake up olive movement? Were they right or wrong? Should we expect these miracles to happen today, especially healings and resurrections? Should we expect them to work them like Peter? And if we don't, how should we think about them? Obviously, this is a complex and controversial topic. There are many views out there, many attitudes out there to those views. And I won't spend too much time here, but I think it's important for us to walk out this morning not being affirmed or angry because wherever you land on the topic of miracles, remember what we've worked through already. Remember this passage. It shows us that the risen Lord Jesus, he's working today, and his work is to cause people to believe in him. And that's where we all should unite about no matter where we land on miracles. So I want to outline four considerations about this passage and miracles. First, remember the style of writing. It's two slides later, Wendy. It makes a big difference what sort of writing this is, whether it's a recipe or a letter or a story narrative or a song or a poem. Whatever style of writing it is, it changes how we read that particular writing. And Acts, what we're going through this term, it's a narrative, it's retelling history. It's not instructional like a letter or recipe, and we shouldn't treat it like that. It's not figurative like a poem or a play, and we shouldn't read it like that. Acts is narrative. It's describing events that took place it's not telling us what to do. So just because we have two miracle accounts here, it doesn't mean it becomes a pattern for us to expect today to happen. Second thing, miracles are signs and wonders, and their purpose is to point to Jesus. In the gospel accounts all through, including Acts, miracles are never an end to themselves. It's never about the miracle itself. They always act as a signboard pointing to Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus calms the storms. The point is Jesus is Lord over all creation. Jesus, he heals the blind in John. Jesus, he's the light of the world. Jesus, he heals the lame. People believe in Jesus. They repent and believe. Jesus raises the dead to life. People see Jesus as the Lord over life, the Lord of the resurrection. And we saw it in today's passage too. The main goal of miracles in the New Testament is to point to Jesus. It's to show him 
as Lord and Saviour, the one who gives new life is for people to turn to Jesus and believe in him. But I think many appearances of miracles in today's church, it's not really about that. It's about the miracle itself or the fame of doing the miracle or the profits because of the miracle. Jesus isn't the purpose or the point of it at all. You see, in God's word, miracles are signs and wonders pointing to Jesus. Third point. In Acts, miracles accompany the preaching of God's word. Here we see it's in the context of Peter's teaching in the churches around the area, verse 32, that all of these miracles happen. Have a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, Acts 2, 42 to 47, it's like a summary passage of what the early church looked like. And we read that there's teaching, and the signs and wonders accompanying it, they come together. And we see this in all the major parts in Acts. Pentecost, we see tongues, and we hear Peter preaching the word. Samaria, two weeks ago in Acts 8, Philip heals and casts out spirits, and he also preaches Christ. If you look forward to Acts 19 in Ephesus, Paul, he performs unusual miracles, and it causes an uproar, a riot in Ephesus. But note in all of that, he's also preaching the word in the synagogues. You see, miracles never happen in isolation. There's always a context, explicit or implied, miracles accompanying the apostles as they preach God's word. And the fourth and final point of miracles, the result of miracles, is believing in Jesus We've seen in today's passage, in those three examples, Pentecost, Samaria, and Ephesus, and all throughout Acts, the result isn't about the miracle or the miracle worker's power or fame. It's people believing in Jesus. That's always the end goal and result. People turning to Jesus, multitudes, regions, crowds, people in Acts Miracles push people to believe in Jesus. So the million-dollar question today, assuming we agree on all those points just mentioned, can miracles happen today? There's a lot of debate. My short answer is, let's have a coffee. (laughs) But my summarized answer is, yes, they can. They do happen. God is able God is all-powerful, all-loving, and all-working. And God is working and intervening in our world, both in ordinary and extraordinary ways. But there's also a no, too, in my summarized answer. Not the way we see in Acts. We don't have apostles like Peter and Paul today. And the early church, we need to remember, is a uniquely special time in the timeline of God's salvation work. 
we aren't in the early church. The canon is finished. And in the early church, God worked in uniquely special ways. So we shouldn't expect miracles to happen today in the way that they do in Acts. And as I mentioned before, wherever you land on this question, we ought to unite in the gospel that miracles accompany the teaching of God's word, they point people to Jesus, and we all ought to unite that the goal is not the miracle themselves, it's for people to believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's really the big miracle, isn't it, that we want to see in people's lives. People being saved from eternal death to life forever in Jesus. So our point so far today, the risen Lord Jesus is at work today. His work is causing people to believe in him. We had a quick look at miracles. And our final truth as we close The mission of the risen Lord Jesus, it's always moving, always advancing, always going forward. You see, the gospel is moving, it's spreading. His work keeps pushing on and on and on. Acts 9, we see people believing in Jesus as the gospel message moves further and further beyond. Out of Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Gentile Greek territory, The mission of the risen Lord Jesus is always advancing. And this mission is still on the move today. It's still advancing the gospel. It's convicting more people, more places, more tribes and tongues. You see, there is a positive movement and momentum in the work, in the mission of the risen Lord Jesus. But I think, as we finish off, often... We don't see it. We don't really feel it. It doesn't really feel like this is the movement of the gospel or the mission of the risen Lord. I think the mentality of many believers today, including me sometimes, it's pessimistic rather than being expectant. It's on the back foot rather than being on the front foot. It's defensive than rather being on the offensive. We rather be hermits rather than being heralds and proclaimers of the gospel. And I think this is counter, this is opposite to the movement of the gospel we see in Acts, where we see the gospels always moving, always spreading, where boundaries are being crossed, and more and more people are being touched by the gospel. And maybe it's a reflection of my own and your own passion for Jesus. Maybe it's a result of seeing the church move in the last 50 years from majority to minority in our society. Or maybe it's because in this 21st century, we're so busy, we're so caught up with life, or we've been taken captive by the world and its desires. Or maybe we've even been distracted by good things but aren't about the gospel. Well, I think God teaches us in Acts 9 and in Acts in general as a book that the mission of the risen Lord Jesus is always advancing. It's like that snowball going down the hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It moves and it gains more momentum and more. 
It's like that mess of liquid that you spill on the ground that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The mission of the risen Lord Jesus is always advancing. He's working. He's causing people to believe in Jesus. And God, he wants you, he wants me, he wants all of us to know this, to see this, and to join in to be part of his mission and work. Knowing that the mission of the risen Lord Jesus will continue to advance. It will keep going, it will keep moving. His kingdom will grow. People will continue to turn to Jesus, whether it be today, tomorrow, next month, next year, next decade, on and on and on and on. God's kingdom will keep growing until that last day when the reality that the miracles we saw today point to will ultimately come to pass. God's people in God's new and perfect creation, a creation with no death and no disease, that last day when Jesus' mission and his work in this world is finally complete and all that will be left is God's people worshipping with our good and gracious God in his presence for all eternity. You see, the risen Lord Jesus is truly, is indeed at work today. So, brothers and sisters, let's join in his work today. Let's be part of people turning to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray to this end. Heavenly Father, we see in today's passage that your son, the risen Lord Jesus, is still at work today that he's working in situations and circumstances and through believers to cause people to turn to Jesus for life and salvation. So, Lord God, please forgive us for the times when we forget that Jesus is working today. Please forgive us for the times when we ignore his work or we fail to join in with his work. Lord God, forgive us for the times when we make other things, even good things, more important than your ultimate and primary work of seeing people believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Father God, forgive us when we ignore your mission that you've given us to witness to Jesus. And Lord, give us eyes to see and minds to know Give us that confidence and assurance that Jesus is indeed at work today. And Lord, help us to be part of his work. Help us to join in. And Lord, we've asked that you would cause people to turn to Jesus, that you would resurrect spiritually dead people to find life forever in your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.